Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. I'm very happy to announce the extension of our podcast sponsorship, the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Dr. Sturette is a movement and mobility coach for players in the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA, plus a doctor of physical therapy. Kelly has created a program called Virtual Mobility Coach. And if you haven't tried this, you got it. It's so simple. Every day, Virtual Mobility Coach gives you the guided videos and walks you through it step by step using Kelly's proven techniques to relieve pain, improve range of motion, and improve performance. Since coming on board as a sponsor, I've had a lot of listeners, including my own clients, my own athletes, who have been using these protocols on a daily basis, and we have seen an increase in recovery from training session to training session. What does that let me do as a coach? It lets me train them a little harder. It lets me push them a little bit harder. So you got to try it. It's completely free for two weeks. If you decide to continue, you can get an additional 10% off for life. You just have to use the promo code PROJECT10. Again, the promo code is PROJECT10 to use the Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach a sponsor of the Project Fitness Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of Wellness Unplugged. I have a very special guest today. They're all special, though. That's that's the truth. Like, And uh, I think they take it as a compliment when I call them special. Um, but this gentleman here has the last name Fudge, and he's involved in fitness, which seems like it could be a minor hurdle because every time his clients work with him, they're going to be thinking about uh, wanting to eat fudge because... Well, fudge is delicious, and it's not exactly a paragon of health. But that doesn't matter because Chris turns people into strong superheroes with his training, and he also drops knowledge bombs on the ears of uh, the world of podcasting with the Project Fitness podcast as well. So he really lives up to the name uh, Christopher the Great, so it's awesome to have you on here, man. Uh, thanks for having me on here, John. I've, I've been called special many times in my life, but uh, <laughs> the way you do it, I like most. And, uh, you know, what's also, speaking of special, is the fact that you're Canadian as well. So uh, wh- where do you reside in this great white north? Originally, I'm from the east coast of Canada. So that's the, the colder areas down in the Maritimes, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick. Uh, but right now I'm living in Ontario. So the, the capital of Canada, Ottawa, Ontario. I'm sorry so to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, old, the mom and dad, my mom and dad are back in the east coast. That's where I'm originally from. But yes, Canadian born and raised. Yeah, so if he talks funny, um, it's because he's from the East Coast. So, yes, <laughs> uh, there we go. Did you did you have an accent growing up at all, or uh, and did it fade as you, as you got older? You know, it, it depends on where you live in, in relation, and uh, the accent gets a little bit stronger when you have a few pints in you as you go through, and depending on, of course, who you hang out with. But there's some parts, you know, where I'm from, where you know, like a, like my mom lives in an island with sixty thousand people, so yeah. I live in a small town just outside of Ottawa with over a hundred thousand. It's a town, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's millions here in Ontario or like 9 million people or something, but my mom's province has like 60,000 people. It's an Island. You can drive across it in an hour. Yeah. And if you're on one side of the Island versus the other side of the Island, sometimes you can't even understand each other. So they get pretty thick depending on where, where you're located. I was yeah. more in the center of everything. So I, I got the best of both worlds where most people can understand me. 
Yeah, PEI is actually a pretty cool place. I I drove a lap around it one one summer um, just for something to do. And uh, yeah, it's really just this red sandy rock that's kind of gradually being eroded by the ocean. Um, But it has an important place in in Canadian history, actually. Some some really important pieces of paper had signatures put on them by important men. So yes, yes, that's where the the birth of Confederation came from. That's also where pretty much probably 80% of the potatoes that that are ingested here in Canada. That's where we come from, PEI. Like uh, Thanks, PEI. Right, and and PEI doesn't have an obesity crisis due to the fact that they grow potatoes? They export them. Okay. That's why. They're <laughs> all the potatoes. Uh, that's the secret. And Stompin' Tom Connors, um, who's... Uh, who was a legend in the Canadian country music scene many years ago, had a song about um, Bud the Spud and PEI potatoes. So in the book too, in a book that I actually purchased and I read to one of my two sons. Yeah. Okay. Which, which uh, br- brings up kind of the, the topic of the podcast today, which is uh, not losing yourself in parenthood. Um, and in this case, fatherhood. Um, do you, do you have a dad bod? Uh, I do. I do not. I've lucked out. I, you know, I don't really have the dad bod. I try to make the jokes. Sometimes I'm going a little bit more dad bod ish, but no, there's no, there's no dad bod on, on my side. Yeah. Not <laughs> that there's anything wrong with it. How would you describe the dad bod? Yeah, that, that was a bit of a loaded question, actually, that, that I flung your way, because, I mean, truthfully, I think anyone who's a dad who has a body has a dad bod, you know. Um, but I think in, in, in media usage, referring to dad bod is kind of like the slippery slope that you have kids, you're married, you're settled in a relationship, you don't necessarily have to maintain your physical appearance so much. So you kind of start to develop a bit of a beer belly. Um, you know, we start to make some jokes around it uh, to sort of cover up for the fact that it's happening. Um, but it, it, I don't think dad bod should necessarily be an inevitability. Mm-hmm. I, I would I would agree 100 with that, and you're right the way the media kind of portrays it in, in one aspect. But I mean, let's be real, let's be realistic here. When you're talking about a dad bod, you're talking about someone who's responsible or should be responsible, or someone be, besides themselves. There's a good chance that they can afford to feed more than themselves, so they might have a little bit of financial security, and hopefully they're thinking long term. They're not someone who just takes it one day at a time. So the dad bod might actually be a couple other things a little bit deeper than just what you see on the outside. Okay, so that that's a great great uh, point to dive into because uh, I think dad bod uh, will, will actually have a few health ramifications as well. So when men carry excess abdominal fat, that's actually a, a predictor for uh, potential both diabetes and cardiovascular disease, which are two very common lifestyle diseases that we see. So we see like a... Um, I don't, I don't want to say a direct correlation, but a very strong correlation between waist circumference, um, which is highlighted in dad bod, and potential health issues down the road. But we live in a world that's sort of drowning in the never-ending now. How do you, how do you um, think down the road when you're just trying to survive day-to-day life, especially being a parent? Well, you know, sometimes people, we, we choose to be parents. Sometimes we don't choose to be parents. But at the end of the day, if you are a parent, you are responsible for someone else. So if you're responsible for someone else, you know, in an ideal world, you're going to create an environment that allows them to thrive and be the best version of themselves. Your kids will never be able to be the best version of themselves if you can't be the best version of yourself. If you're always holding back on on your health, it's going to show up down the road. It's not going to show up when your kids are zero to 10. It's probably not really going to be apparent, you know, 10 to 20 it shows up way down the road when you can no longer take care of yourself. Now, unfortunately, that happens for a lot of people where they become dependent on their children. And that's just how it's been through generation after generation. Eventually, they get to a point where they need help from their kids. 
I don't think that has to be that way. I don't think we have to rely on, on, on our kids to take care of us. If we take care of ourselves and we start early on, you already mentioned a lot of lifestyle factors, right? Yeah. Waist circumference leads to cardiorespiratory disease, cardiovascular disease, which is, you know, the number one killer of, of people today. And yeah. you can reduce your chances and you can reduce that happening by just keeping your waist circumference in control. And that comes down to lifestyle. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting, this thought, because I think our our mobility is our independence. Our health is our freedom, in, in a sense. Um, and obviously, there are certain unpredictable factors that might come into play that we don't have any control over. But that's not to say it's not worth uh, putting the time and the effort into this, because we th there are certain things that we should um Take, take control over because without this, uh, we, we are setting ourselves up. You know, I find uh, for a lot of people, though, it's, it is really difficult to think 30 years down the road when, especially when we've been going through a time like this, um, where is it, we, we felt like we've kind of been trapped with the pandemic. We've, we've had the weight of this on our shoulders for, for 18 months. Uh, you know, it feels like it's going to be going on two years in, in, in very short order. Um, through, through the pandemic and the lockdown, how have you managed to sort of maintain your sanity and your health? ironically through exercise yeah through, through through exercise and just for your viewers who who don't know i work in fitness i am a personal trainer with the name fudge yes uh, <laughs> I fell into this business because of a, a passion and a love i had for physical fitness and what it did for myself and wanting to share it with other people so it was never one of those jobs that everyone thrived to go and do you don't go to university to get a degree so you can then be a personal trainer you know, I went to university and got degrees to be something else, but I loved all the training I was doing for myself. And then I just jumped into it as a, as a side business. I never thought I could make a career out of it. And then here I am 13 years later working full time. I have a, a rating that's, you know, I've won a bunch of awards Canadian wide as a top trainer. Yeah. This is my career. I will retire as a personal trainer. You don't really hear of that, but you know, I will eventually retire as a personal trainer. Yeah. When the pandemic started, I was supposed to be on a week-long vacation. I was supposed to be with my family over March break, my wife, my two beautiful boys. We were supposed to be on a cruise ship for seven days. We were supposed to go on it on the Saturday. The Saturday is when the world shut down. Yeah. So we canceled it on the Friday. So we were planning on just spending a week doing what you do when you go on a cruise ship, right? You overindulge in good food. You overindulge in alcohol. You you try to get a couple workouts in to feel a little bit better about yourself. But yep. you go into these things knowing that that's what's going to happen. So we were working really hard with our, our other jobs, our careers, and then the pandemic hit. So that first week, we said, well, we're just going to treat it like the cruise ship. So we made a lot of good food. We had some alcohol almost every day. And then five days went by and we're like, okay, we got to get back on track. But our normal routine was not there. Get up, go to work, right. training sessions, you know, the other sports we do on the side. Like it just wasn't available. So we just started doing the, the minimum. What's the minimum I can do to maintain my sanity? And it worked for a while. It was fine. But then I started noticing myself, my body weight started to increase a little bit. And, um, so did the wives. Uh, she wouldn't. <laughs> you, you don't want to say that one too loudly. <laughs> Both of our health started to change a little bit. And that's yeah. because of the factors that we weren't standing as much as we normally do. We weren't burning as much energy as we normally did. We were consuming the same amount of food. Now, I was still working and consulting with clientele, and they were going through a similar situation. So, uh, John, the best way if you want someone to do anything in life and they look up to you, whether it's their 
either your children or your clients. There's three easy ways. By example, by example, and by example. Lead by example. So when my clients were telling me this was happening and I also started having me, I said, I need to do something different. So the first thing I did was I identified that I'm not burning or moving as much as I used to. So I had an option. Option one, move more. Yep. Or option two, just adjust the intake. So I wasn't moving as much. I'm like, I'm just not going to eat as much. So I took the normal amount of meals I'd have per day and I removed one. I just okay. took one meal out. That so was no, it. No, no counting calories and weighing food. You just literally said, oh, I'll just drop one meal. Yeah, because I mean, the amount of, like, uh, I eat on average four meals, four meals a day. Yep. It, uh, I train for a sport where I train for powerlifting. If I have a competition coming up, it's different versus a competition far away. But on average, I eat four times a day. Well, I wasn't doing the stuff that required four meals a day. So once I went to three meals a day, my body balanced out. So for a lot of my clients who are eating three times a day, a suggestion I made to them was remove one meal. What meal, Chris? Whatever meal you don't feel like eating the most, just remove it. Yep. And that worked for everyone who followed it. They just cut down from three to two or four to three or two to one even because they weren't burning as much themselves. It was very simple, very simple, but it worked. So yeah. That, yeah. And then that's crazy because I say crazy uh, because of how simple it is, because we tend to want to overcomplicate this. We want we want some sort of complex strategy when uh, the, the truth is, is, is if we're struggling with our weight. Um, now, there are many, many factors that might contribute to this. But in a sense, in its simplest sense, the word it's like we need to consume a little bit less. And sometimes that's, that's a challenging message to hear because of the role that food plays in our life outside of nourishing our body. Um, do any of your clients struggle with an emotional, kind of an emotional dependence or emotional relationship with food? Oh, yes, most. Yeah. And uh, what is, how does that sort of manifest or how does, how does that sort of show up and what are some of the struggles that they might encounter? Well, when things get more sad, frustrating, irritable, um, stresses go up, their comfort is always found in food. And comfort is usually associated with a social event for them. Well, it's like, okay, I'm really stressed. I'm going to work really, really hard. Then I'm going to go out for a few drinks with the boys. Okay, uh, I'm stressed. All these things are going on. Okay, I'm just going to have a little uh, dessert with this one here because I earned it. I deserved it. I need it, right? So they'd fall back on those things. Some would overindulge by themselves. No one's around, and they find themselves eating all this extra food because it makes them feel good for that short time period. They go to bed. They wake up the next day. They feel like garbage, and it just ends up being a cycle over and over again. How do you break that cycle? Awareness is step one for me. So the way I, I, I coach people is I always let them know that, you know, from a, a scientific standpoint, it's not necessary to consume that amount to be able to do what they want. I got two older sisters and my oldest sister was a smoker on and off for years, for years. And then uh, she quit smoking for the final time. And I asked her, what would you do this time? She's tried it all, right? Patches, hypnosis, everything. And then all, I said, what do you do this time? She goes, I read a book. And uh, the third page of the book said nicotine is out of your body within it was 72 hours, something like that, like three days. And I said, oh, okay. And she goes, so I just realized that it actually wasn't, I didn't need it after day four. If I could go four days without it, I wouldn't need it. And she said that flipped the switch. So for her, it was, yeah, it was awareness. So not everyone, but a lot of times I can, I can point out why it's not needed, you know, you, you know, from an energy standpoint for those people that yeah. work hard i was so exhausted and starving so i had this and i would always fall back on like well were you exhausted from physical activity or emotional activity because one burns a lot more calories than the other yeah and then when they're like you know what i didn't even work out this week but i was starving and i was like so you didn't need it 
you wanted it, but you didn't need it. So for those A-type athletic clients who like they're into sport and they get that stuff, it was a no-brainer for them. Yeah, clients is a lot more digging that had to be done. Yeah, and and you know whenever a client uses the word starving with me, I always like to challenge them on that and say, is that true? Because genuine starvation um, really is not likely going to be an issue in North America. No. Uh, no. You know, unless unless you got tied to a tree or something like that, and people forgot about you, um, mm-hmm. the likelihood of actually. But we use this sort of alarmist language around feeling uncomfortable, um, and I think the truth is, to be fit or to be reasonably healthy doesn't mean you have to look like a you know a rock star you know fitness model or something like that. But just to be fit and healthy in in the twenty first century is really kind of going against the average. It's going against the grain because the majority of our population is actually not fit and healthy and i was having a chat with a client this morning and we were talking about uh, the, the pressure that she feels at, at social events and uh, you know um w- the the tension between wanting to be healthy but also wanting to fit in when other people are making unhealthy choices so i wonder if you'd have some some thoughts on that yeah i mean i, I live i live in that that happens all the time you know when i have to socialize with people and i'm the personal trainer in the room Everyone, <laughs> yeah. everyone looks at what I'm eating. I go to the grocery store. When people recognize me, they look into my cart. Uh, the first thing is, is uh, I have no shame. You know, if, if there's, if I'm going to have a beer or something else, yeah, I'm going to justify it, right? Yeah. I'm like an average person. I use strategies. I don't drink beer every day. That's a fact. But I yeah. like to have beer. If I have to cut weight for a competition, I won't have the beer. And if someone says, oh, you don't want a beer? I'm like, no, I'm cutting weight. Okay, no problem. If I don't feel good, a beer doesn't usually make me feel better. It's alcohol. It's poison. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, oh, you don't want a beer? I'm like, no, I'm just not feeling that good. I've been working a lot this week. My body's a bit run down. Beer's not going to help me. Right? So very very open and honest in those scenarios. Now, strategies that I use for some clientele is, um, like, I'll have some people who that's their business is socializing. You know, they have to go to business meetings. Yeah. and stuff so we create strategies around their nutrition plan if they have a goal of you know maintaining their their health and their weight and not getting worse versus you know i want to lose 20 pounds of body fat over 12 months strategies that we might put in place sometimes is looking at the options of if they want alcohol okay well, what type of alcohol do you want okay well this one here is a little lower calories than this one here so let's choose the lesser of the evils mm-hmm. it could be something as simple as most people would like to go out and they get an appetizer, they get a drink, they get a main, they get a dessert, they get another drink. And I'm like, hey, that's cool, but that's not great. <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's cut that in half. Let's minimize something. You want the you want the drink or do you want the appetizer and the dessert? Let's just decide one of the two because you can mm-hmm. still be social by being in the environment. Then it's other things. So here's one of my favorite ones. When you go to a restaurant, tell the server you have an allergy. You're, you're allergic to soy and you're allergic to dairy. And they'll be like, oh, and you'll be like, yeah, I can't have, can't have dairy, can't have soy. So when they go in the back room, whatever they make is not going to taste as good. Because, I mean, there's a reason why if you come to my house, John, and I'm in, you know, I made you a salad, yeah. it would probably be a three to 400 calorie salad. But if you go down yeah. to the local restaurant, you're going to get a thousand calorie salad. Yes. Why yeah. is that? Well, the chicken breast in mine was not bathing in butter before I put it in your salad. Yeah. So when chefs <laughs> yeah. and restaurants and stuff are aware that they have a clientele with an allergy, you know, and, and yes, you can say you have one whether you do or not, they're going to cook the food differently. So that's automatically going to change how you feel afterwards, how you digest it, and then keep you on track for being healthy or working towards those goals where a thousand calorie 
salad does not fit in with that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love that. And there, there's something to be said for just being aware. I think, I think a, a lot of people are unaware of, of just the caloric density of most food that we eat. And uh, so we, we, you know, we don't think about this very much, but let's just say someone uh, burns 2,400 calories a day, which is a pretty, pretty decent metabolism. That's an average of like 100 calories an hour over over 24 hours. It's not actually that significant when you consider, you know, eating three or four Oreos is an hour's worth of energy and you mm-hmm. can sort of, you can pound those back in like five minutes, not five minutes, two minutes, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, we're surrounded, we're awash with like all of these um, extra calories, um, all of these highly processed foods. Um, how do you, how do you uh, help people sort of stay on track when, when they, they're craving these things or dealing with these, these issues around food where it's like, cause you talk about, you, you have clients that are, that are high, you know, they got high stress jobs, maybe or a high stress lifestyle something like that. We know that food is probably the most commonly used, um, medication, if we could call it that. And, uh, someone's really, really hung up on something. Let's, let's pick on Oreos. You know, Oreos is like their, their kryptonite. What are you going to, what are you going to have them do, um, to, to navigate something like that? Well, if somebody wants to have Oreos in the diet, you know, or in the nutrition plan or in the lifestyle, I say, hey, there's a time and a place for the Oreos. You know, it it could be along the lines of, you know, you can have the Oreos, but not all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Not the entire sleeve. (laughs) And you can coordinate food around exercise and you will metabolize it differently than if you see it by itself. So we utilize, you know, carbohydrates well for exercise from a a glycogen standpoint, quick digesters. It's good to have that stuff, yeah, before a workout or right after a workout as well to help recover from the workout or give you a little bit more. Now, a sleeve of Oreos, you ain't going to get a good workout in. (laughs) (laughs) Now having 150 grams of sugar is not going to be your best friend. Yeah. If you're on like a low sugar, low carbohydrate diet, every time you take a little bit of carbohydrates in, you're going to get a little boost of energy. So it's not a bad idea to have that around a workout. Yeah. Another thing, there's one other thing that I'll do here. This is one of my favorite things to do with people who want to eat healthy, but they got some social things and they want some Oreos. I call it the 1721 protocol. Okay. On average, most people eat three meals a day. If people are consuming four and five, there's a good, not me. Okay. I'm a, okay. If you're training for a sport, that's a bit different. Okay. So take me out of the equation. <laughs> the average yeah. person, if they're consuming four and five meals a day and they're eating for over like a, a 17 hour span, you know, your lunch, your snacks, your breakfast, your late night snack, your dinner, they're consuming a lot. So I try to take those people and get them down to three meals a day. Okay. Of the three meals a day, I might say, let's go 17, 21. 17 of those 20 meals you're going to have are only foods that make you feel good. And don't bullshit me because ice yeah. cream feels good for a short duration. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we curate plans that say what makes you feel good. So 17 of the 21. So what does that leave you left over? Four. For those yeah. four meals, have things outside that. So that could be going out and having a drink with your buddy. That could be having dessert at dinner, like a couple Oreos. That could be going out to dinner. That could be ordering pizza. And what I have found with working with clients long-term is people who fall into the category of 1721, they do really good. Yeah, I love that. John. Yeah. As soon as you said that, I was like, I bet this is going to be 17 out of 21 meals. I love that. I love that. That's such a, a simple, practical approach. And I, I, w- with clients, I like to kind of establish or, or, or test a boundary. I say, Let, let's see about, let's see if we put this boundary in place. Every time you, every time you take a sip, I'm like, I, I read that mug and I love it. <laughs> Go yes. ask your father. Yeah. Um, it's funny because mom says queen of everything. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, now I'm distracted. I'm thinking I want I want a mug like that. Um, yeah, so coming up with like practical strategies that are that are really simple and digestible because again, there's this temptation to want to make it um, complicated. Now you work with like with powerlifters as well with strength athletes. Like you work with higher level people who do need, in one sense, maybe slightly more complex nutritional strategies. Does the average person really need, uh, you know, let's say you know carb cycling or you know cutting weight or things like that, or any of these strategies really? necessary for the average person who just wants to get maybe get stronger and, and lose some weight no most of the time like you said it's overcomplicated. they're overthinking it you know they'll say i gotta go on this i'm going on this keto diet i'm gonna be ketogenesis i got the keto strips i'm gonna be peeing on these things i'm gonna be good and i might say hey you don't have a gallbladder you you can't do that <laughs> what <do> you, <laughs> you need a gallbladder to ingest a high amount of fat. Remember you told me you got yours removed? Oh, I didn't know that. So they're, they're really overthinking it. You know, it could be something as simple as people say, hey, I'm standing in line at the grocery store, getting my club pack of Oreos, and um, I saw on the magazines, they got the watermelon diet. So I'm gonna wanna try the watermelon diet. <laughs> and like, like, you're, you wanna lose weight? Well, go to the grocery store to buy a club pack of Oreos, right? It's a small thing, right? Might be yeah. like, if you don't buy that, then you're not gonna eat it, and that might just be all you need. But a lot of times I take a look at someone like they tell me and, and I always say, what did you eat yesterday? Not what you ate today. Cause sometimes when people meet with me for the first time, they're like, okay, today's day one. So I'm always right, like, right, right. Yeah. what did you eat yesterday? Right. And then, you know, I just try to attack, you know, what's the, the smallest thing they could do to have the biggest change right away. And in my experience, most of the time it's, you know, water, people don't drink water. Yep. Um, and or it's awareness they just might not be aware of a lot of things that they're doing it's not helping them at all yeah. with their health bingo yeah I, I really i like to say that awareness is the first step to change so we have you know I, I joke that if we were to like spray our client the bottom of our client's feet with that spray they use on csi and then and then shine the uv light and like check out their footprints throughout the house it'd be really interesting to see what that pattern is because a lot of times this pattern happens in autopilot where i'm sure many people can relate where you open the pantry door and you're kind of staring there and all of a sudden you kind of snap to and you go like, oh my gosh, how did I get here staring at either the pantry or the fridge with the door open? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not even hungry. I'm just, I'm in a zombie-like state and I just, you know, want want to eat something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there, you know. I don't think you'd find that too much in my house, but the more you say it, the more I think of people that I work with and they always say, I don't know why I just, you know, I, snack, I had a little snack last night. I was just like, <laughs> so I had a snack. I'm always like, you got to not get bored. <laughs> Let's fill yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, my rule is that gener generally speaking, I don't eat after 8 p.m. Ooh. And I, so, but I'm the type of person that I do well with firm boundaries. It just, it works better for my brain. And it doesn't work well for everybody. So, that I, you know, I'm not trying to say this is a one size fits all prescription, but I just recognize that I make bad choices after 8 p.m. Like I'm not, I'm not gunning for broccoli, you know, uh, after 8 p.m. It's like if, if I'm wanting to eat something, it's going to be something calorie dense. It's going to be like a granola bar, a cookie, a chocolate, you know, bag mm -hmm. of chips, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I make my life simpler by just sort of saying I don't I don't eat after 8 p.m. And kind of once I've accepted that boundary in my head, um, all of a sudden for me, the temptation kind of disappears. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's just kind of my rule that I follow. And for some people, they would say that's too strict or uh, I, I could never do that or, or whatever. But for me, it means it's simple. And I think that's that's one of the key things. Some, so, yeah. I, I, oh, I tell people sometimes that they, they have to be responsible when they eat. Like you gotta you gotta take responsibility with what goes in your mouth. Yeah. And if we're talking about parenting, we are responsible with for our children. You know, we yeah. as, as, we're responsible for them. So we should be responsible for ourselves at the same time. 
And if you say, I have a boundary where at eight o'clock I stop eating, what you're, what I'm hearing is you take responsibility for your food and you're aware that you don't make good decisions after yeah. 8 p.m. You're a responsible man, John. <laughs> well, the, it's the simpler we can make it because we live in a very busy, distracted world. In the social media, the digital media era, it's just so easy to mentally check out on screens as well. So I think our brains are constantly being taxed and it's more difficult for us to even like cultivate awareness. So you've, you've got a couple of boys. What ages are your boys? So I got a five and a seven year old. Okay. And I've, I've heard it said mine's just, uh, he's coming up on eight months here. And, uh, but I've heard it said that kids are like a little miniature mirror. Um, what, what have you, what have you learned from your kids and how have your, your kids actually caused you to maybe change your behavior? I've learned more from my kids in the last <laughs> years. Than I did from all these books behind me. And yeah. uh, a lot of them, they make you face your demons. They make you face your insecurities. Uh, they make you grow up is what yeah. they do. And I was forced to grow up on many times where, you know, it was no longer about Chris. Chris was never at the front. I wasn't at the front with my wife. I was always number two, but now I'm number four. In the house. Sometimes the cat's ahead of me. I'm number five. So, <laughs> That's very easy because you have to be selfless. Yeah. People who love to sleep in, people who love, you know, video games, they love, you know, uh, staying up late. They, they love the indulgences of life. You can still love that, but it's really hard to do when you have children because they are relying on you. Yeah. Kids are the, the, the most ridiculous species on the planet. <laughs> no reason humanity should be here. Like you have an eight month old. You, you, you haven't seen it yet. They are dumb. They are really dumb. They don't know danger, right? <laughs> yeah. They can't read. They can't. You know, they can't read a stop sign. Uh, they have no idea of anything in the world. So all you're doing is running around, and you're trying to make sure. Here's my 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 rule of thumb. The goal of the day was make sure that it's alive when I put it to bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I lowered the bar. Hey, it's alive. We are good to go. My yeah. wife once left me a note. Here's snacks. Make sure that the kid has these foods throughout the day. I gave my kid three bananas in one day. Three bananas. She said banana three times. I, I gave him banana three times a day. She comes home. She goes, what do you do give him three bananas for? I said, you put on a piece of paper, banana three times a day. She goes, no, no. That was an example of a snack. I said, hey, hey, he's not dead. He's alive. Yeah, yeah he's still dead. <laughs> I did my part. I did my part. But they force you to grow up. And the first, yeah. time, the first time that I really saw it, being selfless was not hard for me. Um, yeah. I was I was going into parenting with that mindset, you know, right, yeah. alive them over me. But the first time I was really confronted with it, I'm not an angry guy. I don't lose my cool often. Um, but someone cut me off. Someone cut me off. And then you have your you have your normal reaction when you get cut sure, off, yeah. something like that, right? And I was about to do my normal thing, you know, get up on the back of the vehicle, maybe pull in front, maybe show him he's number one. Like that was a normal thing I would have done. Yeah. I had my son in the back seat. And I, I, I like looked at the guy and I had a quick flash of what I would normally do. And then I looked in the mirror and I saw him and it changed me right away. Yeah. I had zero desire to do that. It was yeah. not conscious. I did not decide. I immediately weighed my options, right? And I said, I don't want him seeing me act like that. Yeah. And I, I don't want something bad that could happen, such as I, I, I then become a little bit more reckless on the road. I get in an accident. I'm now responsible for the accident and I'm responsible for that little thing in the back seat. So it changed me instantly without premeditative thought. Yeah. I just, and I switched and I was like, Oh, fatherhood. 
You know, it's funny because I, I, for me, driving is a little bit like chess. And because uh, I'm, I'm often, I, I used to drive big trucks. And when, when you drive big trucks, you scan the traffic like way down the road because the truck can't respond as quickly. You can't stop or slow down as quickly. And so you have to be aware of what's happening a mile down the road as well as what's in front of you because it's, it's going to be harder. And so you get used to sort of scanning and calculating and, and, and planning routes and things because you don't want to get slowed down or stopped if you don't need to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I do that in my car, which is much more agile and nimble. And, uh, you know, it's not that I drive recklessly, but I, I, I definitely take some calculated risks or did take some calculated risks moving in out of traffic and, and whatnot. And all of a sudden having a kid, it's like, uh-oh, I got to think twice about this. Mm-hmm. And so what's changed for me with, with, uh, with my son is I've, I've really taken up conditioning seriously, uh, because his legs don't stop moving. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't like, I liked being strong. I liked lifting heavy things. And when I see how this kid's legs go, I go, I gotta be able to sprint after this kid. If he's heading for the road, for example, I can't like lumber slowly after him. I have to be able to short burst energy and get to him quickly. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden I'm taking my conditioning work a whole lot more seriously because I'm like, this is what's, this is what's coming down the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that. Like parenthood changes us in probably the, the, the best possible ways and they mirror our behaviors. What are, what are some um, uh, rules or boundaries that you've kind of put in place uh, to, to model behaviors for your kids? Well, as I mentioned earlier on, the best way to lead by example or the best way to get someone to follow is a lead by example, right? So, you know, we eat healthy in our house. We don't separate meals. Okay? What I eat, they eat. There, there's no ways around it. We just eat different amounts, right? Yeah. We don't we don't say that, you know, there's good food and, and bad food. I'm not saying like that's bad. Don't eat that. But we use language differently. So I love ice cream. I love beer. Right. I love protein. Um, and, and my boys know that and, and they like the same. Um, sometimes they try to snip a sip of my beer. I'm like, hey, you can't have that. That's what you can have. Um, but we say things like, uh, you know, like, Daddy, could I, um, if we're going to go to the movies, can we get popcorn at the movies? I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. We get some popcorn at the movies. And then what I've said to them before, and they can repeat this uh, verbatim to me, I'll say, is popcorn uh, good food or is it junk food? And they say, it's junk food. I'm like, okay, is junk food good for us? Or is it bad for us? Well, it's bad for us. Is it okay to have sometimes? And they'll say, yeah. And I say, what happens if you have it too much? You're like, my tummy gets upset. So they can say that. And there's been times where they've overeaten foods that are not good. They get up in the morning and they say to me, say, hey, my tummy's a bit upset. And I say, oh, okay. I said, do you know why that might be? And they can come to the conclusion themselves and say, oh, I ate a bunch of bad food last night. And I'll be like, yeah, that's right. Without telling them, because we always tell them, we always mm-hmm. tell our kids everything. When they can come to the conclusion of something, to me, I'm like, I'm winning. I'm yeah. doing I'm doing good. So we don't separate and necessarily say, like, you cannot have that. But we do say there's times and places to have certain things. And we try to keep it around social events yeah. rather than just every day you have to have a dessert. Because I don't believe in that. No, and no, no. Our structures here, our school systems in Canada, the the daycare systems in Canada, everything is based on a reward system through food. And I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. It's snacks. It's snacks, snacks. All the kids are having these snacks left and right. And I I never ate seven times a day as a kid. No. It, it's not good. And a lot of the kids here in Canada, in North America in general, are they're they're getting obese. They're they're getting overweight at young ages. And it, when the child says, Oh, I want to eat that, of course they do. They're a kid. Yeah, yeah. We're adults. We want to eat that too. You want I mean, to give my me- kid tries to eat his socks. Like he, <laughs> yeah. he got mad when I tried to give him a bottle 
He wouldn't. He would not take the bottle. I'm like, this is mom's nutritious breast milk. He would not touch it, but he'll yank the dirty sock off his foot and try and jam it into his mouth. You know what I mean? They're they're ridiculous little creatures. They should not have survived. Like, our <laughs> should not be here if they were ever left unattended on their own. You know a giraffe? You know when a giraffe is born, it can run. Yeah, that's crazy. But imagine if you just popped out and you're like, I can go for a 5K. Like you'd yeah. be pretty darn advanced, okay? <laughs> Our kids can they can't even pick their nose. Yeah. Like, even at that stage yet. Yeah, they can only so sort of clumsily smack their face. Side on how much they eat. Sorry, it doesn't fly. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things that they're just not emotionally ready for and, and they're not really able to emotionally regulate. And so I think that's but what I, I what I just observed here really is you're coaching your kids without overtly coaching them. 100%. And that's so brilliant. Like, I do, I do it with fitness too. Do, do yeah. you know what I do with fitness? What's that? Being in fitness, I've seen so many people have children before me. So I was able to observe and just make my own, um, my, own, my own observations. So one of the things that I noticed was anyone in fitness that was having kids was really trying to impose fitness on their kids. And guess what happened? Like any kid, they rejected it. They became rebellious. They wanted nothing to do. So the more fit someone was, the older the kid, the less into fitness they were. The more I was, I was just observing these, un, they were really unhealthy because they didn't want to do what mom and dad wanted them to do because they made it more of a chore than a yeah. choice, right? So at my house, I got a gym in the basement, right? Mom and dad work out in the basement. Mom and dad separate times where we go to our other gyms. We do our own training and the kids are aware, okay, dad's going to train. Mom's going to train, blah, blah, blah. So they're 100% aware that we do that. They can come downstairs in the basement. They're allowed to watch, but they're not allowed to lift. And they say, why can't, why can't we work out, Daddy? And I say, you can work out. You can't work out here. You're not old enough yet. So instead of making it inclusive, I make it exclusive. And when, something, when someone's told they're not allowed to do something, what do they want to do? They want to do it. Yeah. Well, as the kids get older, I slowly encourage them into doing different things. So I literally just started last month doing some form of resistance training with my kids. Before that, we, we, we used to go for runs. Yeah. So running was a big thing in our, it's so easy to do for kids, by the way. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't have to teach a child to run. If they don't run as kids and you try to teach them, because I've tried to teach adults who never ran as a kid, that's a, that's a very hard skill set to develop. They have it naturally as kids. So we, have, we live on a crescent here and it's 384 meters. I measured it out. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a 400 meter track. Perfect. So we used to do a lap around. Would, uh, uh, would Before COVID, our kids would have uh, screen time on the weekends, one hour on Saturday, one hour on Sunday, iPad, whatever it was. When COVID came around, we had to bump that up for survival. Mom and dad were working at home. But the way we did it that way was every lap accumulated 10 minutes with a maximum of 60 minutes a day. Okay. So if my at the time, four and six, if they want to run 400 meters, they get 10 minutes up to 2,400 meters. Yeah. You want to run two and a half K? I will let you run two and a half K for one hour of iPad. Yeah. It definitely outweighed the screen <laughs> time, right? And then we had a guaranteed hour for mom and dad to do whatever we wanted to do. So yeah. they understood work for play. You got to work before you play. Yeah. Now when we do stuff in the basement, the way I have it set up in the basement is our workouts are literally this. It's one lap around the block and I do it with them. We yeah. do it with them. That's the difference in between leading someone and then yeah. ordering someone. So I run with them. We do tag. I say, try to catch that, blah, blah, blah. We do our lap. We come downstairs. The workout is written on the chalkboard. It's going to be a kettlebell deadlift. 
one good set of three, one good set of three. Tempo push-ups, tempo squat. If they do all that really good, they're allowed to jump on the rower and do a 500-meter row because they love the row. Interesting. Here's the they come downstairs. They see the workout on the board. We have a mantra. They sit down, crisscross applesauce, cross the legs, hands on the thighs. I got that from their karate sensei. I like that, crisscross applesauce. And they repeat out to me. I ask them, I say, why do we work out? They respond because it's good for our health. And when they do that, they touch themselves. Why do we work out? Because it's good for our brain. And they touch their head like this. And I ask them a third time, why do we work out? It's good for everybody. So they understand that exercise is good for how they feel on the inside. They understand that exercise is good for how they think. And they understand because I've told them because they, they think I can lift the house. I yeah. get to prove it. But yeah. I when you exercise and you're healthy, you can help so many more people because not everyone can do that stuff. So that's our mantra. Here's the best of the best. Every time they get done doing one of the exercises, they go over on the chalkboard with a piece of chalk and they scratch it off. Do you know what that does? Dopamine. Yeah. They get that dopamine hit. I've just accomplished something. So now we've linked in. We've linked in the positivity reinforcement from a chemical release. Yeah. We've linked in the leadership. Where monkey see, monkey do. They see dad do that. And then we've also linked in a positive activity. If they do the workout, they've done all that stuff, they're allowed to do the rower, and they love the rower. And I just nice. keep it 500 meters. They could go for 2,000. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to give them just enough that they want to come back for more. Yeah. John, we work out once a week. Okay. They, 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 they would go seven, but I don't want them to. I want them to want it and want it. It becomes more, you know, exclusive. You're only allowed to do this once a week, right? Rather than every day, let's go train. Yeah, it's, it's, a treat. it's a novelty. It's, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, man, I love this. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to jot down notes here because, you know, I'm like, this, this is, because my, my, my kid right now, he's just figured out crawling and, uh, you know, we, we probably could have got him figuring out a little bit sooner, but we're like, nah, we'll let him keep trying to do two legs at the same time. <laughs> you know, that was yeah. his thing. He would try to go so hard with both legs at the same time and couldn't get any forward momentum. And, uh, but he figured it out, he figured it out with like stretching out his arm and he pushed with one leg and all of a sudden it went, it went click and now he's crawling. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> but he's going to, he's going to love to run. I can see that already. Like his, his legs just go nonstop. And so we're definitely be running around the yard. Um, when, when I'm, uh, giving mom a break, it's like baby break. Uh, we, I bring him downstairs. We've got like a mat that he can kind of play on and he's got some toys and things like that. And then I hop on the recumbent bike and I'll, I'll ride. So that's usually what I use for my conditioning right now because mm -hmm. we, we've got limited space. So I've got, I've got a, a treadmill that I call the Hellbot, and I really don't like the treadmill. So I much prefer the recumbent bike. And so mm -hmm. I'll hop on the bike and I'll go for a ride and he'll be sort of, but he, man, he's curious. He wants to touch the pedals and things like that. So uh, then I have to try and distract him with like a, a ball or something like that to get him to, but he's watching, basically he's already watching that this is an important part of my life because when he comes to hang out with daddy, you know, we have snuggle time, I get on the ground, I play with him and things like that. But then some, I let him have independent playtime as well because I want him to sort of explore his creativity and not always need my input to, to play. And so, mm -hmm. but he's watching me, he's watching me work out basically. That's good. Once it, when they're exposed to it and they see it, they think it's the standard. They think it's normal. Yeah, yeah. And the whole, uh, the concept of monkey see, monkey do, that's fact. That's the most factual thing in parenting ever. <laughs> if you if you don't want your kids to smoke cigarettes, don't smoke. Yeah. I mean, the, the likelihood of a child picking up smoking to a parent that does not smoke is significantly lower than families who have parents that do smoke. 
So everything that you do, if someone's listening here, and if you have, we all have our demons, we all have our bad habits, whatever it is. If you're like, I really don't want my children to do this, then you have to stop it first. You're not going to be able to do it and then have them not do it. It's just, it's just how it is. Yeah. And that's, that's like a hard reality check actually. Um, but, but it's a very true one. And I think that's, that's what gets me thinking about this as well. What I want him, you know, when I spend time with him, I try not to have my phone with me, um, as much as possible because I don't want him to associate daddy's you know left hand with holding a phone all the time and mm-hmm. I run an online business. And so it's like, I'm going to be, you know, I, I do use it a lot. And so that, that's a really powerful one as well. I love, I love what you do around, um, screen time too. That's, that's super powerful. So when it comes to getting them to eat healthy foods, you know, you, you already sort of intimated, you have like a coaching sort of approach to them in a sense, you're, you're using their psychology. They don't realize it, of course. How do you, how do you get them to make healthy choices? Well, there's a few different scenarios that we'll utilize here. So the first thing we do, and, and I suggest this, like, I don't, I don't coach parents how to parent. I'm just going to give you this. What we do at my house, and I can tell you it works at my house. Yeah. We only make one meal. There's only one meal, John. I'm not making a second meal for my kids. If they're like, I don't want that, I'm like, cool. Take it. Go put it on the counter. Don't throw it out because we're going to put it in Tupperware and someone's going to eat it later. Let's go put it on the counter. And you don't eat tonight. Well, I'm hungry. I'm like, okay, then eat. But I don't want it. Up to you. I mean, and I, you know, he's five, he's seven. Yeah. They yeah. figure it out, right? Yeah. If yeah. we just took, if if you and me and everyone listening here right now just didn't eat for a full day, and then the next day the first meal offered to us was something we don't like, we're still going to eat it. Yeah. And it's happened multiple times. They don't want what we serve. No problem. They now know the routine. They put it on the counter. They don't eat dinner. Guess what happens tomorrow for breakfast? You better believe they eat their breakfast. It doesn't matter what I give them the next day. They will eat it. And they've understood that. But if they push me or if they push a parent and the parent Mm -hmm. leaves in and goes and makes them something else, then that's learned behavior. If I just say I don't like this, kids say, I don't like this, okay? You don't have to like everything you eat. You have to eat to live. You don't live to eat. You have to eat to live. And when you can explain that to your children, all of a sudden their mindset will, will change around. So that's the first thing I do. We make the same meals that mom and daddy is the same stuff that our kids eat. There's no, there's no changing that one around. It is what it is. And, you know, like I think throughout human history, that was always the case. <laughs> this, this is like a phenomenon of like the 20th and 21st century where it's like, well, I don't like that. I want chicken fingers. Go back 200 years. Were they eating chicken fingers? No, it was like. Chickens have- don't have fingers. Yeah, we have gruel made from like chicken feet and <laughs> you either eat that or you go hungry. Those are your two options because there was nothing else. You know, my, my grandfather, uh, you know, apparently one, uh, one winter, it was during the Great Depression, they, all they had was turnips. Mm-hmm. That is hard for us to even fathom that that's basically the only food they had to consume and you figure out, a, you know, a hundred different ways to prepare a turnip or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. But... There, there was no other option. It was mm-hmm. like, that's what you have to eat. So, you know, and, and you're right, kids kids learn. And so we, we don't, you know, this is going to sound like something kind of strong, uh, maybe, maybe a little over the top. But I think giving kids like pop is very close to child abuse. Because what you're doing to their brain when they drink that, they don't have, you are altering their brain in a very, very unhealthy way. And 
you can't see the immediate ramifications of drinking a can of pop. But you mm-hmm. give a kid pop, you are altering their brain in a, in a really, really unhealthy way. You give that as a repeated behavior, you're now doing actual developmental damage to their brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, with a lot of different foods. You know, pop, pop, pop being one of the more dangerous ones out there. My boys don't drink pop. They don't drink yeah. juice. They, they, they drink water. Someone's like, well, how do you how do you have your kids drink water? I'm like, it's all they drink. Yeah. Well, we don't give it. No, we don't. Now, I'm not... Um, uh, I'm not anti, you know, juice. I'm not anti pop. There's a time and there's a place. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, John, it, it's very rare. We can go to social events with other parents and stuff, and they might provide um, like burger and fries for the kids. Sure. Yeah. And they'd make it. It's funny. We literally did this on Saturday. There was a special meal for the kids. And then there was a meal for mom and dad and whatever. The, the food was garbage for the kids. No big deal. And they said to me, they said, hey, can uh, you want to get a little uh, juice to the kids? I'm like, just give them water. Good water, right? They still got their their fries. They still got their yeah. burgers. I didn't want to overdo it, right? And I just didn't want them consuming juice, you know, every time they have a social event. I'm like, you can have a social event with your friends. You're gonna have burger fries, no problem. As of right now, I'm still in control. I don't want to be sucking on that juice because it's just not beneficial. Yeah, and then that's that whole taking responsibility thing here as well. Well, man, you've given a ton of like really useful and insightful tips here. I'm glad I, I decided to pick your brain a little bit. I've, I've definitely taken some notes from this conversation. Um, if you were to kind of leave people with with one little nugget of wisdom, if you could kind of condense you know, what you, what you have to share into a, a relatively short, juicy soundbite, what would you share? If we're going to talk about parenting, and uh, I've given a bunch of stuff on what you can do to help your children thrive. Um, you can see in the video here, I got a ton of books behind me and stuff. I read, my wife reads. Um, we got a fire pit in the backyard. We light up a fire. We go in the back there with books. My seven year old grabs a book and he comes out and read. My five year old one time grabbed a book and came out and read. He can't read. Well, he can't read. Yeah. He just thought that's the normal thing. Mom and dad read. We all read in this family. So if you want your children to do something, to be something, you have to show that first. And sometimes it's hard to look in the mirror and say, you know, these are all my faults. These are all my negatives. If you're fine with your kids having them, don't change anything, obviously. I never read growing up. I started reading when I became a dad. Now I read a ton because it's free education. It helps my career, helps my business. And I've learned a bunch of parenting tips from reading parenting books as well. So I guess the one thing that I would I would say, and I've mentioned many times before, is lead by example. However you want your kids to be, you gotta you gotta change yourself and you gotta start first, you gotta lead the way and they'll follow suit. Yeah. You can't teach what you haven't learned yourself. So well, man, thank you so much for sharing. It's an absolute pleasure. If you want to connect with Chris, you can go to projectfitness.ca or see the fudge on Instagram. That's the letter C T H E fudge. You know, the the one personal trainer with the last name Fudge. I don't know if there's any other any other ones out there. Um, but you're definitely unique and special in that category, at least in my mind. So I'd greatly appreciate your time and sharing your expertise as well. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. And we click end live and we smile. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.